Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39, and John 21, 15 through 17. We're going to finish the series tonight. And then next Sunday morning, boy, invite somebody with you. Uh, we're going to work and see what we can do to uh, free up some parking and seating and all that. But invite someone and, and let's just see what God will do through the um, power of a story told about His miracle working grace. And so come, come next Sunday morning and bring somebody with you. It's going to be a, a good time. Romans 8, John 21. You probably never heard of her, but the decision she made was unbelievable. Her name's Lorraine Allard. Four months into her pregnancy, Lorraine was diagnosed uh, with the advanced stages of cancer. And the doctors advised her to have an abortion and start chemotherapy right away. But Lorraine Allard, she was a resident of Florida, she refused to. She said, if I'm going to die, my baby's going to live. November 18th, 2007, she gave birth to her son prematurely. He was one pound and 11 ounces. His name is Liam. Lorraine began chemotherapy as soon as, soon as she could gain her strength after the delivery. And January of 2008, she lost her battled a cancer and passed away. Liam continued to grow. He's moved home with his three sisters, three older sisters, and his dad. This is a mother who said that she would not even allow death to separate her from her love for her child. Now, this child is going to grow up with one question completely answered. I don't know what you would do. I don't know what I would do. None of us know what we'd do if we were in that situation. But forget about that for a minute. Think about it from the child's standpoint who has survived and is now over uh, two years old. This child has survived and is nearly two years old. And as this child goes to three and five and eight and ten and fifteen and twenty years old, there's one question that this child will never have to answer. And that is the question, did my mother love me? That question has been so completely answered, it'll never have to be asked. It'll never cross that little boy's mind. Did my mother love me? You know why? Because she paid the ultimate sacrifice already to answer that question. Now look at Romans eight thirty-five through 39. In the same way, God will never allow that question... To need to be asked again. He has so amazingly and comprehensively answered that question. And in Romans 8.35, we see a passage that Paul the Apostle wrote that is so clear in this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are con considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a great verse? Would you say this word with me? Nothing. You know what will separate you from Jesus' love? Nothing. 
Nothing will separate us from God's love. When I say to you, God is love, please believe me when I say to you, that means that God really loves you. He really loves you on your worst day, on your most rejected day, on your hardest day, on, in your loneliest hour, in the worst time of your life. The time when everything on your emotional dashboard says, I'm alone and I'm by myself and isolated and I'm on the bottom and I'll never rise again. On, in that moment, please believe me when I tell you, God loves you. Not angels, not demons, not height, not depth, not life, not death, not anything. Pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? God's love is stronger than any force on earth. You and I, in our life, have spent so much time, consciously, unconsciously, in conversation... You can hear it in people's words as they speak. You can see it in in your attitude. You can see it in mine at times. We have spent so much time in our life trying to determine whether God really loved us or not. Haven't you? Well, I mean, look, when things are going great, how many of you know it's easy to see that God loves you? Oh, yeah. God loves me. Why? Because I was at the gallery and the first spot in the parking lot was open for me. Isn't God incredible? When everything's clicking your way, somehow we connect that to God's love for us. But what about when it's not? What about when things are tough? When when things won't work out? When you've tried and you've tried and you've pressed and you've done all you know to do and you're doing everything right that you know how to do and it just won't seem to work. Those emotions start to shake, don't they? Begin to say, well, maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe, maybe this is a result of the sin in my life somewhere in the past, and I don't remember. Maybe this, and maybe that, and maybe the other thing. And then, before long, you turn the camera around on God and say, well, maybe it's Him. Maybe it's not me. Maybe I'm different. Maybe God doesn't love me somehow. That question, even once you convince your mind to say the right answer, you have to spend years... Driving the truth of God's love deep into the layers of your soul, all the way to the middle, where you can somehow, so the attitudes and the actions and the decisions and the thinking that bubbles up out of the wellspring of your soul begins to overflow, I know God loves me. Nothing will separate me from God's love. Guilt and fear and shame and anger and impatience and rejection and so many other things have driven down deep into the inner resources of our soul and it takes well, it takes time for God's love to work itself so deep into your soul that you're convinced on the deepest and deepest, deeper and deeper and deeper levels. But the question has already been settled. It's settled in the universe, it's settled in time, it's settled in history. Just like this little boy will never has to ask, did my mom love me? You and I really never need to ask, does God love me? He's answered that question by sending, what else could he do? What else is left? He bankrupt heaven. He poured out the best that he had. What else is there to give? How many clips some wings off angels or something? Sew them together and make us a necklace? I have an angel wing necklace. Look how God loves me. But that wouldn't matter, would it? 
God has already answered that question. But there's another question. There's another question that really lingers unanswered in, in history and in life. And in your life and mine. The question that remains unanswered is not, does God love you? The question that remains unanswered is, do you love God? I mean, do you really love Him? I mean, do you really love Him? Turn to John 21, 15 through 17. And I want to share a story with you. I know you know it. I know you know it. But I want to share it with you again in this context. Because Jesus actually asked... One of the disciples that I, I know we've heard you hear the problem is you hear sermons about people so much that you stereotype them. But if you would have known the apostle Peter, then I don't you know without uh, five or ten or twenty or thirty years of of twenty um, first century preaching on him, I don't know that you would have thought about him the same way we think about him in retrospect. He was a fisherman. He had given up everything to follow Jesus. You would have thought, this guy is amazing. I mean, look at him. He just believes God. He just dropped his nets and took off. He, He was an amazing guy. You would have looked at him and said, man, he pulled his sword out and cut the soldier's ear off and he did this and he did that. And Jesus said, who do, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're, you're Christ. You would have said, I didn't see that coming. I didn't have that answer. Wow, get out of the boat if you trust me. I don't have to be told twice, he's out. We talk about all the bad stuff he did. What about the great things he did? He's like Babe Ruth, he might have struck out more than he hit, but when he hit, boy, he hit. He went over the back fence. John 21, 15 through 17 is an encounter with this great man of God in Jesus. And look at the question that Jesus asked him. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's talk first about the hurt. Did you see that in that verse? Peter was hurt. Let's talk about the hurt. What would that hurt have been like? What would that pain have felt like? After Jesus asked the most personal, soul-searching, piercing question that a person could ask the third time, (laughs) the first time, the third time, the apostle Peter was hurt. Now, he might not have been the sharpest tool in the shed, but after three times, even he was hurt. Can you imagine how it felt? Now listen to this. Staring into the eyes that nothing could be hidden from. And having the question asked to you. 
Can you picture yourself looking into Jesus' human eyes? The eyes that can search the soul of a man and begin asked the question, look at me right here. Do you love me? That's not on Facebook. That's not email. That's face to face. It's right up front. It's personal. Imagine Jesus sitting here on these steps tonight, looking you in the eye four feet from your nose, saying, do you love me? Yeah, you know all things you know. No, do you love me? Well, yeah, sure. No, no. Do you love me? Wow. Have you ever wondered how much you love God? Let me give you another way to find out. How much does it hurt you when Jesus asks you, do you love me? How much does it hurt? When Jesus sneaks up close to you in your devotional time and he whispers into your ear, how much do you love me? The pain that you feel at that moment is parallel to your love for him. If it doesn't hurt when he asks, your love for him is shallow at best. We pick on the Apostle Peter. I'm not picking on him. I'm getting in line behind him. We pick on him. He was hurt. Thank God he was hurt. If Jesus asks you, do you love me? If that doesn't do anything for you, if that doesn't bounce inside your soul, if that doesn't cut, if that doesn't jab, if that doesn't pierce, if that just sort of hits you numb, I can tell you where your love for God is. It's kind of cool. It's cooled off. But when Jesus says, do you love me? If it, if it hurts you, if it breaks your heart, if it causes pain, if it offends you a little bit. Whew, now maybe your love for God's starting to grow. Maybe there's some good things happening on the inside of you. Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Jesus asked three times and you can almost hear Peter saying, please don't ask me again. It's really starting to hurt my feelings. Jesus answered this question, I don't know, sometimes we become so familiar with stories in the scripture that the answer becomes predictable to us because we've memorized it, not because it, it makes logical sense to come next. You know what I'm saying? We, we're so familiar with the stories, we know what's coming next. But if you didn't know what was coming next, would you think the answer to, to you love me and the answer yes, do you think the next answer would be feed my sheep? That doesn't sound normal, does it? You ask your wife, do you love me? Yes, feed the kids. <laughs> See, does that... I mean, you're on your 25th romantic dinner. You look over in her eyes and you say, baby. She looks at you and says, do you love me? Yes. Go pay the kids college tuition off. That doesn't... It's not really what you're looking for, is it? But Jesus answers this in an unexpected way. What does it mean? What does it mean to love God? I'll tell you how Jesus defined it. Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Take care of the lambs. What is that exchange about? Somehow Jesus linked together loving him and ministering to other people. Somehow ministering to other people is loving God. 
Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. You offer a cup of cold water in my name and you've offered it. When did we see you in prison and we didn't visit you? When did you, we see you naked and we didn't clothe you? Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Somehow Jesus has linked feeding the sheep to loving him. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, do what I do. What is that? Feed the sheep. Take care of the sheep. Somehow you and I cannot adequately love God without loving what he loves. You you can't just love God in a vacuum. You can't sit in a sterile room in a stainless steel chair with all white walls with no contact to the outside world and love God. It doesn't work that way. I'm just going to sit here and love God. We can't compartmentalize it. We We can't have an overwhelming, fulfilling relationship with Jesus all by ourselves. There has to be a reciprocal outlet for the love of God that's coming in, it's got to have a way out. One of the ways out is to love what God loves. I mean, if you're becoming like God, if His love is filling your heart, then you're going to start to love what He loves. Your heart's going to start to break for what what breaks His heart. And you're going to start to love what He loves. To be with Jesus means to be on mission with Jesus. To be with Jesus is to go where Jesus goes and do what Jesus does. And Jesus describes loving Him as feeding the sheep. Do you love Jesus? Wait, don't answer that question. Let me ask you another one. Who are you feeding? If you can look inside the cover of your Bible and take a pen and write the names down of the people that you're feeding. Who are you feeding? Who's benefiting from your relationship with the Lord? Who are you strengthening? Who, Like I said this morning, it's a simple little thing. Can you care for someone else? Can you share with them what's brought you to this point? Then what are the list of the names of the people that you're doing that with or trying to do that with or have some, some heart for? So if Jesus were here and He looked at you and He looked at me and He said... Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Come on, what are their names? It's another thing, isn't it? It's a whole other thing. What are the names of the sheep that we're feeding? God calls us through His love to a response. God is love, if if you're writing this down, God is love is not a statement. It's an invitation. God is love is an invitation. It's an invitation that requires a response. It's not a statement of a fact. God is love requires an RSVP. Answer this. God is love. What's the answer? What's the response? What do we do when that word pierces through the night of the universe and hits our little soul? God is love. Well, what does God love? Well, God loves God loves kids. He loves the the developing, the new believer. So we should love them too. 
God loves people. So we should love people. We love what He loves. Now here's the thing. And this is what I came tonight to tell you. God loves you. This is the last in the series. God loves you. What do you do? Love Him back. Love Him back. There was a time in my walk with the Lord that I thought, and maybe you've thought this before, it's pretty popular, in our Americanized culture, we've kind of mixed American culture with church life. And so we've got some ideas that we've borrowed from the secular world and back and forth that sometimes mix and aren't, aren't right. I used to think that if I did more for God, that I would love Him more. Worked harder. <laughs> when I got saved, I, I, well, I'll talk some next week, but when I got saved, I, I did everything the church would let me do. I was 16 and I went to the men's fellowships and taught rainbows and that was a disaster and worked in Sunday school and painted the walls and uh, cleaned the vans and uh, worked with the peewee sports teams and I mean if the, if the lights were on it was like the Motel 8 they left the lights on for me and I was there and I, I don't think I knew it then but I, I was so hungry I think I thought that if I, if I worked harder for God I'd love Him more I was trying to figure out how to, how to deal with what had happened inside me. How to, and, and you know, I know a lot of Christians that feel that way. But, but I, want, I want to share something with you. Doing, doing things for God is not going to grow your love for Him. Doing things for Him is not going to grow your love for Him. If all you get out of this whole series is, well, I got, I'm not doing enough for God, and if I'll just do more for God, I'll love Him more. You've missed it sometimes the most faithful people you know can be the most dysfunctional people you know. I remember when Stacy and I started at a church, very first start, I remember we'd have this Sunday school meetings. We'd go to Sunday school meeting, and we had this one little lady, I don't remember her name, but I'm glad, but man, she, she I don't mean that as a disrespect to her, but I, every, every time there was a pause in the meeting, you knew what you were going to get. It's going to be the same thing every meeting, every time you could cue it, you could count on it. You might as well put it in the bulletin. It's going to happen. She'd say, when are we going to get back to rewarding people for good attendance in Sunday school? Okay. Well, when are we going to get back to rewarding people for good? But and here you go. You could, we could, you could almost watch our mouths move with her. Because my son, whatever his name was, little Johnny Bob or whatever, he hadn't missed Sunday school in four years. He's got perfect attendance. And I just wanted to give her a lollipop or something and say, leave us alone. What is wrong with you? Perfect attendance. I think sometimes we think doing more stuff for God will somehow... We're just striving and hoping that that's going to do it. Doing more for God is not going to cause you to loving more. Let me tell you what will. Spending time with God. You spend time in fellowship with Jesus. You go home and shut your bedroom door or whatever it is you got. And you turn on a worship CD or something. Or open your Bible and study and begin to pray. Or take a walk and talk to the Lord. Or whatever it is that you do. But let me tell you something. You fellowship with the Lord. And I'm telling you, it's going to cause you to love Him more. 
I remember hearing Mother Teresa interviewed on Larry King one time. And he said, um, you pray a lot, right? Yes. When you pray, what do you say? She said, nothing. Well, you, you think God speaks to you, right? Yeah. Well, when you're in prayer, what does he say? Nothing. Isn't that great? I didn't come to get nothing from God. I'm not trying to suck anything away from God. And God's not trying to jam the universe down into my brain. Sometimes, I know this is like an incredible idea. It's just about being with each other. It's just about the fellowship. I'm not trying to perform and I'm not trying to prove that I'm a superstar Christian in here. And, And in that time of intimate fellowship, my love for God just grows and grows and grows. And the more fellowship you have with God, the more you'll love Him. And it'll in turn cause you to become more fruitful for Him in the kingdom. It means that love growing in your life will overflow into action. Now in the average church, 20% of people in the average church do all the, the, most of the ministry. I have no idea what the number is here. I don't know. But that's the average. And the average church. The reason that the, the average church is that way, here's the reason that I hear, I've heard this for years, it's because Christians today are lazy and uncommitted. I don't, I've known a lot of Christians. I don't know very many lazy Christians. Maybe you do. I don't know who your friends are. But I don't know a lot of lazy Christians. Most of the Christians that I know are busy and committed to their family and they work hard and they work long hours and, and they're productive. I don't... Maybe you know people that have found a way to beat the system. But that's, that's the way most people that I know are. You can't earn love. You can't deserve love. But here's the thing. I don't think the issue is a matter of laziness. I think the issue is a matter of love. We become so busy, there's no time for love. We become so busy, there's no time for fellowship with the Lord. But it's out of that wellspring of fellowship with Him that come those good treasures that He pulls out. Those good things come out and flow through our life. You can't deserve love. You can't work hard enough to earn it. You can't work your way into love. I'll tell you this. I know a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors, they beat their brains out and work their brains to death. And I think they're actually working to somehow convince God that they love Him. I'm telling you, there's a lot of compulsive people in the, in the ministry. I think they're trying to earn God's love somehow. If your love for God is shallow, you're going to be unfruitful. You can sign up for everything and show up for everything and do everything you want to do. In the end, you're probably just going to be tired. Shazam! You know, how many, you know how many unchurched people there are in America today that went into the system of the church and worked their brains out trying to figure out how to get God to love them and how to, trying to figure out how to get themselves to love God and they're out there rambling around the street somewhere because it just they couldn't figure it out? My goal in this whole series was to add to your faith, was to build you up in love and make you stronger. Let me tell you why. The deeper you grow in love with God, 
the more fruitful you'll become, the more you'll serve. You'll serve with greater joy. You'll become a a more fruitful Christian that is more consistent in your life. You'll become more concerned about making the best use of your life. You'll become a better steward because that's what love does. Remember this morning? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's the way. It's out of that love relationship that we become strong. I've spent most of my adult life in ministry. I've had people ask me this question. How do you get people to do what they ought to do? And I say, welcome to God. Because that's what God deals with. God deals with trying to get you to do and me to do and us to do what we ought to do. And so many people in church try to get people to do what they ought to do. I spent a lot of my adult ministry chasing people, trying to figure out how to make an inactive person active. Can I tell you, you can't do it. It won't work. You are beating your head up against a brick wall. How do you get a person who won't pray to pray? How do you get a person that won't read their Bible to read their Bible? How do you get a person who won't serve to serve? How do you do it? What's the, what's the thing? How do you get them to do all that stuff? You can't. But let me tell you one thing that happens, and it always happens. When a person's love for God starts to grow, their hunger for God and the things of God will begin to grow, and they'll start to pray, and they'll start to read their Bible, and they'll start to crave fellowship with other Christians, and they'll start to crave the teaching of His Word, and they'll start to crave the things of the kingdom of God, and they'll start to crave an outlet for all this that's bottled up that'll come out in some serving action, some way that they can serve and make their life count for the kingdom. They'll begin to think about everything different. It always happens when a person's love starts to grow. If I can convince you that God loves you and how much God loves you, make a note of this. It'll set you free from all other loves. Lack of love's not the problem. Misdirected love is often the problem. But if you can ever become convinced in your soul that God loves you, that He really loves you, It'll be such a warm blanket to your spirit that it will sever and set you free from the lust or the desire or or the longing for a love of anything else. You won't need to love anything else. Do you believe God's love is that big? That He'll set you free from all other loves? What what, what do you say to the, the addict? The addict that can't seem to be set free? What is it? I almost guarantee that person's been rejected somewhere. And they're looking, they're looking for to fill that rejection up. To fill it up somehow. There's no way to fill it up. When a person's love for God grows, everything else lines up, but it starts with a relationship. You ever wondered why when you and I come into the kingdom, we come into the kingdom and our, our, our what we call it our relationship with God. I started a relationship with God. But from there on, everything else becomes mechanical. Now you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to stop this, you got to stop that, you got to do this. It's like, whoa, it's like you're at an auction. How can I do all that? Somehow we introduce people to Jesus in a relationship and then attach a, um, a regiment onto them. Now do all that. 
You'll be all right. You might make it to heaven if you have perfect attendance in Sunday school. I'm going to ask a worship team to come. When Stacy and I were early in ministry, uh, I remember I had this idea. I think I heard somebody on a tape somewhere, and I thought, I think I'm going to do that. I decided I was going to spend some extra time with God. No agenda. Just going to spend some time. We were maybe in our second, third year in ministry. And I said, uh, Stacy, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we'll have dinner and then uh, around bedtime, around 8 or 9 o'clock, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull away and I'm just going to stay with the Lord. And whatever He wants, that's what we're going to do. So I got my Bible and my little notepad and my pen. I was ready to learn from Jesus. So I went in the back bedroom I got back there. Was, we were in a three-bedroom. We'd only been married a couple of years. You know, we didn't have nothing in it, just carpet and whatever junk wouldn't fit in another room. I was in there with the junk and the carpet and Jesus. I was sitting back there, and I remember thinking, ooh, this is going to be good. I'm probably going to stay up all night with Jesus. I'd already determined, Lord, if you want me to miss the whole night's sleep, I don't care. I just want to come and hear from you. I'll stay here all night. It's going to be great. I thought, you know what Jesus is going to tell me? Jesus is going to tell me how to fix this ministry I'm, I'm in. He's going to give me an idea that nobody in the nation's ever had. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. He's going to give me this idea. He's going to give me this way of speaking. Or he's going to give me this gift. He's going to give me this thing. He's going to show me how to fix the challenges that are limiting our ministry. Right, And that's what I was thinking. I'm going to go in there and get it. And I sat back there and I, I said, Lord, here I am. Here's my Bible. Here's my pen. Here it all is. I said, Lord, I worship for a few minutes. I said, Lord, speak to me. Whatever you want to say. Not what's on my heart, what's on yours. Now listen to me. I heard him whisper to me. I love you. And I said, you already know that. I want to hear something important. So I got the pen and I said, yeah, okay. Let's get on with it. Fine. We, we did some worship, you know. Lord, this, you tend to think in church service. Lord, this is the part of the service where we have something else. We don't have to worship, Lord. Now, come on. Give me the stuff. <laughs> and he said, I love you. And I remember thinking, there's got to be something else in here. I kept flipping through it going to write it down and the spirit said to me put your bible down put your pen and paper down and just listen and I'm telling you even as I tell you tonight it's as real to me as the night it happened he said I love you and I said well Lord I guess that's it then isn't it I guess there's nothing better you could tell me and I just sat there in his presence, I don't know how long, a couple of hours. And I just let that one thought resonate through my mind. God loves me. He loves me. I'll never forget that night as long as I live. 
was as real if he was sitting in that room with me. He said, son, I love you. And I don't know what happened, but something that night in my soul healed. And overwhelmed me. And I'm not saying I've never had struggle or something after that, but I'm telling you, that night was a changing point in my life. And I said, about two hours in, about 1.30 in the morning, Lord, I love you too. And he said, now we're done. And I slipped out of the room and I went and got in the bed. Can I tell you something? Please believe me. God loves you. And please believe me when I say that most of the challenges of your life and mine come out of the areas where we least believe that He loves us. And if you can ever get His love into that back closet or that back corner or that historical moment or that time when you were hurt or that time you were rejected or the way you were raised or anything else, I'm telling you, there comes a moment where you realize you've been set free from all other loves because He just loves you. And like me sitting there that night thinking, there's got to be something else. And the more he whispered it to me, the more I realized I don't need anything else. I'll be all right right here.